Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 290 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, starting with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you today, Richard? Okay, Seth, I am melting. Unlike Krim, I don't have AC, <laughs> but uh, it's, we're good to go. No one can see this. Uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty hot and humid here in New York, too, but I have my AC going, so I am getting by. But before we talk about magic stuff, we got another co-host in Krim. How about you, Krimara? Are you also melting this morning? I'm melting and I have an AC, and which, by the way, <laughs> if, if there's any guest vocals by my AC, I apologize. But you know what? I'm not turning it off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so our plan for today, we're kind of jumping around a little bit. We're going to kick things off talking about constructed magic. There is new standard stuff going on. There was a Red Bull Untapped qualifier. There is Amonkhet Remastered stuff going on in Historic. So we wanted to talk about that. We also want to talk a little bit about Commander and the Reserve List and the prices of some Commander staples, which uh, seem to be going up. So we want to get into that a little bit, talk about how the Reserve List cards interact with the commander format and then today mark rosewater released his state of the uh, design article for 2020 uh, kind of going over the good and bad of the year from a design perspective so we want to talk about that a little bit as well before getting to fish mail of course however before we start talking magic a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever experienced the hassle of trying to buy list your magic cards, all the sorting, all the shipping, all the typing, it's a lot of work. It's not super fun. Well, Card Conduit, they have you covered. They are the easiest way to sell magic cards. And if you're looking to avoid all those hassles in all that time, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can get a 10 percent discount over at cardconduit.com slash goldfish so thank you so much to card conduit for supporting the show and uh yeah let's talk some magic let's start with standard uh so richard there's a big red bull and tapped qualifier what are we like two weeks post banning now where is our standard format at post banning like a month before rotation where are we at right now in standard all right it's confirmed uro and nissa are still good cards uh, so last week, Salt <laughs> Ramp, you know, was a good deck, but you know, we're like, okay, maybe the meta will adjust. People will know. People were already gunning for it last week. This week, 27.5% of the field of like 900 odd decks in the Red Bull untapped five. Uh, yeah, still, still Salt Ramp. Uh, the interesting thing is it dominated the field. In, in terms of metagame percentage, the next most popular deck was Teamer Adventures at 8.6%. Uh, so people were just basically playing like weird brews, trying to uh, get in under Saltai Ramp. But Saltai Ramp was just dominating. Turns out doubling your mana with Nissa is still good. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I know, I, I what don't a know. concept. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that that's the thing. Uh, I will note that uh, the winning deck was actually, is it aggro? The top four is actually Boral Cycling, Mono Black Aggro, and Saltai Ramp. Uh, although three of uh, eight slots were Saltai Ramp in the top eight. Yeah, so, I mean, so we're up to 27.5%, which is climbing towards, I think, what I would consider the danger zone. I think in general, if you look back at standards historically, when the best deck is like 25% kind of maximum in that range, that's usually when 
I at least find Standard to be in a healthy place. It's, like, pretty diverse, and I don't really care what the top deck is, as long as it's kind of, like, in that 20-25% range. Like, even if it's a miserable deck, you're only playing it one out of every, like, four or five matches, so it's actually, even if that matchup is miserable, you're just not playing it that much. So, my main concern is seeing that metagame percentage keep increasing. So, now we're up to 27. Uh, It's potentially going to keep rising because the deck also from the research I've done is posting pretty good win percentages across all the formats since uh, or across all the tournaments that we've had since uh, the banning so not only is it heavily played it also seems really good uh, is there any hope crim do you think for a shakeup in standard before rotation obviously once rotation hits uh narsat and nissa in Tamiyo, in Casualties, uh, are all going to be gone. That should hopefully, like, change up or maybe get rid of Saltai Ramp. But pre-rotation, is this just where we're at? Going to be a lot of Saltai Ramp, you think? Yeah. This this will just be the standard format. I mean, like, it's cool to see some things like, you know, let's say the the is it aggros and whatnot, right? But, like, like oh, man. I, I'm sorry. I, I've just been... I, I, I don't think there's going to be any change, right? I mean, why would there be, right? The, the, like, it just feels incorrect. Like, it's just, I, I feel like it's strictly incorrect to not play green. Blue and green even, right? Cause I mean, you, you have, you have all the, the ridiculous things in Uro, and you still have, like, yeah, like Nissa, which is doubling your mana into Hydroid Crisis, which is just, it's hard to beat, right? Like, it feels like that deck doesn't really sacrifice any deck slots to have, you know, like ramp, you know, like usually it'd be like, okay, well, if my deck's loaded with ramp, I'm going to get bodied because I'm going to draw these ramp spells or too many lands late game. Well, the issue here is like everything I do generates like 50 different forms of card advantage. And, and now there's also Anissa like doubling their mana. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly not sure how correct it is to refer to it as salt eye ramp. Like when you look at it, it doesn't actually have that many pure ramp spells. Like, yes, Uro's a ramp card. Anissa is like a ramp card. So you like, kind of incidentally have ramp cards, but this isn't a deck that's, like, all in on cultivates and arboreal grazers. Like, True. It's kind of like salty good cards, and it just happens that the good cards also ramp you, which is part of why we've had such busted standards, is, like, your ramp spells are also just the best spells in the format, so everyone plays them, and they do really busted things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I don't expect any, like, huge shakeup. This is most likely, almost assuredly, gonna be the top deck in the format for the next month until we hit rotation. I guess if there's good news, I believe, like... It's the 17th of August today. I believe the 17th of September is when we get the release of Zendikar Rising on Arena. So we're like exactly a month away from rotation. So only four weeks to go, which isn't that long. And if there's any good news, well, I guess I think there's two pieces of good news about Standard. One is I do think that this meta is... Even though it might not be exciting, and even though Salty Ramp is really good in the best deck, like, I still think it's better than, like, 50% Wilderness Record or whatever, so I think we took, a like, a small step in the right direction, and looking at the Red Bull Untapped, like, outside of Salty Ramp, there are is a diversity of decks losing to Salty Ramp. Like, the top of it, you got Is It Aggro, you got Burrow Cycling, you got Mono Black Aggro, you got Mono Red Aggro, Team Air Adventures is floating around, Mono Green Aggro's in there. So there is a bunch of different archetypes that you can play. Uh, none of them, I don't think, are going to unseat Salty Ramp as the best deck in the format, but beyond the top deck in the format, it does seem like the format is pretty wide open as far as, like, the second deck down to, like, the tenth deck or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, and that, I, I feel like that's just kind of 
the way the format's going to be, right? Like, I, I, I don't personally see too many shakeups happening. I mean, what would happen? Like, what, what, what deck could take over? I, I, I just don't see what could. Like, I mean, Adventures is like, as Richard mentioned, like the next best thing, right? Adventures was a deck that I thought might be able to give, uh, to give the Saltai deck a run for its money as the best deck in the format. But it seems like it's actually fallen back a little bit recently. Like, I did an article in the middle of the week, kind of looking at all the tournaments, all the SCG qualifiers and stuff. And as far as like, win percentage, Teamer Adventures was actually with or even ahead of Sultai Ramp. It wasn't as heavily played, but we've seen more recently, a couple of the more recent tournaments, the win percentages went down a little bit. Its metagame percentage, I think, has also went down. It's down to like 8% when it was up in the teens before, like pretty close to Sultai Ramp. So I feel like the format has definitely kind of coalesced around Sultai Ramp, and even some of the like the pure spikes that are just trying to play the top deck in the format. I think some of them that were playing Teamer Adventures immediately post-banning are now like shifting over to Saltai Ramp and you see Teamer Adventures becoming a little less popular and Saltai becoming more popular. Although if you're thinking about buying into the format uh, on Arena or something, which I guess you should probably just wait to rotation at this point, but Teamer Adventures it's essentially, like, rotation-proof. It's just all the cards from uh, Throne of Alderaan, so you don't really lose anything outside of, like, random lands, which will likely be replaced. So if you are looking at getting into the format right now and uh, don't want to wait to rotation, I think I would definitely take a Teamer Adventures over Saltai Ramp, just because you have a, a much better chance of your deck sticking around post-rotation. Yeah, yeah and you have a Triome. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it metagame proof though, Seth? What what broken green mana doubling card will they make in the next magic set to There's enable? There's still a Nissa. <laughs> There's still a new Nissa. <laughs> oh, I mean, it is. If there's good news, it's that Teamer Adventures has been a decent deck for like a year now. Like it broke out what last winter or something, not that long after uh, Throne of Eldorain released. So yes, it has been better or worse. It was much worse during the Wilderness Reclamation metagames. So it could fall down to tier three status again. But I think it's I think it's always gonna be a good deck. The question is gonna be do we just have like another year of standard like we just had where the best decks are so good that none of the second tier decks can really consistently compete with them. So if we get something like that again out of Zendikar, then I guess all bets are off and maybe your Team Your Adventures deck isn't going to be good. But I still think if you don't want to wait and you want to buy one of the top decks now... it's very likely Saltai is going to wait, uh, going to go away at rotation. Teamer Adventures, I think it's better than a coin flips chance that it's still going to be like at least a second tier deck after rotation. I mean, yeah, like, like you, you still have Lucky Clover and, you know, like as long as you're, you've got Lucky Clover and you're stomping 50 things like simultaneously <laughs> and bouncing all this other stuff. Like, I think the, the deck still has like, you know, still can hold its own. I mean, we'll, we'll see, right? Is it going to, there is that new set. It's going to have to do with lands. And you can't really interact with lands, and there is a lot of doubling and whatnot. Like uh, probably, I don't know. I'm, I, I, who knows? <laughs> I, 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 as you can tell, I've played a lot of standard in the last two years, and like I'm going into like. <laughs> what if they made I'm a land? Terrified. They two two zombies every time you played another. <laughs> oh, land. don't even start! <laughs> don't oh, even wh- start. Speaking of lands that make two zombies, I mean, do you guys have anything else to say about standard, or should we talk a little bit about uh, the state of historic, which I think is probably more interesting right now, uh, because we just got Amicat remastered, so we have a ton of new cards, a ton of new stuff going on in the historic format, including 
the rise of Field of the Dead. I have to say, uh, the, rise. the big the rise. it shouldn't even be here. It shouldn't I, even be here. Why did it come back? Uh, so I will say, I have not been a Field of the Dead hater. I actually have not found it to be that miserable and historic pre Amicat Remastered. I mean, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's probably too powerful. But it's not like I was playing it constantly. And even when I played it, I would beat it sometimes with random like decks that I was playing. So it didn't feel like dominant to me. But now that Hour of Promise is in the format, it's got to go. Like, I am fully... <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned about Historics in the last like few days since Amicat Remastered release, it is... Good God is Feel the Dead busted when you can snag two of them, like, on turn three pretty, cons- or turn four at the latest, pretty consistently with Hour of Promise. Now it feels pretty unbeatable to me. I, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. Every time I've played against those decks, I have three lands and they're already on, like, Feel the Dead is live. <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, huh. Yes, they, they're like casting Ugins. Yeah, I'm like, oh, <laughs> and Ulamogs. And you're like, what oh, good yeah, turn that's four cool. play. Turn four and turn five play. This is very cool. Uh, alright, I'll play my third land. Oh, you pick off two of my lands and back at one. Alright, cool. <laughs> <laughs> at least I held this innocent blood for that Ulamog. <laughs> like, I, I cannot tell you enough though, like, that, that, the the hour of promise like nobody nobody's surprised right that's the first thing i was like hey you know amonkhet is amonkhet block right <laughs> that's the first <laughs> thing i thought of about remastered and cuz like hour of promise just like you had mentioned it's like it's bringing in two field of the deads it's already hard enough to beat cuz you can't interact with it and you could say yes of course i am a control player so naturally i would hate that right but, but like it's also just broken, like, right? I mean, it is broken. You can't really interact with it. And please don't say ghost quarters and stuff like that. Cause that's, you know, that's not enough. And, and so I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I just despise that, that play style where it's just like, Oh, non-interactive. Like, you know, I mean, people are upset about three fairy, but here's this land that, you know, it makes it literally no draw on your deck dead. Right. Cause no matter what, you always get a threat and it's just kind of bonkers. I don't know. I'm, I'm, kind of surprised it stayed this long and now like our promise is like please just just remove the card you had it right the first time don't suspend it just ban it (laughs) yeah that is that is a concern although i will say i have still found historic to be really fun while i pretty much auto lose to the field of the dead deck now (laughs) people are still playing a lot of different things that's been my experience i think that just means you've come to accept it oh i'm just gonna (laughs) auto lose it and they're never gonna ban it (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, what do you think, Krim? Has it felt diverse to you? Because I felt like I've still been playing a bunch of different decks. People are trying a lot of new things based on Amicat Remastered. Like, I think the the Hour of Promise deck is, in my opinion, like, clearly the best deck in the format right now. I think it's Unseated Goblins, which I haven't actually seen Goblins nearly as much as I used to, at least in Best of Three. I, I rarely run into Goblins now. But I've seen a lot of Coco decks. I've seen people... Yeah trying some of the new, well, new-ish tribal decks that got some upgrades, like now your elves deck has Collected Company, seen tons of Thought Seizes, Merfolk's another good one, Yeah, Thought Seize definitely everywhere, Wrath of God is another new addition, Uh, but what if, uh, what cool stuff have you seen? Obviously, I think they need to suspend Field of the Dead. I S- suspend. No, 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 no. I, I want a ban. I just want them <laughs> okay, to go ban. and delete that card. <laughs> ban. Ban. All right. I'll, I'll go with you on that one. I think they should just ban Field of the Dead. And I hope that it doesn't ruin the Mythic Invitational, which would be really sad. So I'm hoping that they, they maybe take action quickly because I'm, we're kind of in it's this ruining place it one where, way or the other, right? 
So <laughs> we're in a place though where they're actually focusing on historic for tournaments though right now. Yeah. Like leading up to Zendikar, we have like the qualifiers historic. Uh, we have the Mythic Invitational, which is historic. So it's going to be really sad if. <laughs> if it, we finally get rid of Nexus, which was my big worry, like, oh, it's yep, just going to yep. all be Nexus decks and I'm not going to watch this tournament. Honestly, just watching everyone make zombie tokens, I don't think that makes for that much better of a it's, tournament than watching people Nexus each other. Uh, I definitely right, go on, numb. Hold on. hold on, guys. Hold on. We had a tournament. We have results to take a look at. Uh, the, the MTG Historic subreddit holds, uh, I think it's a weekly tournament. So they had one post Omnicat remastered. Uh, 78 decks. The highest represented deck was Burn at 9%. Contrast that yep. to Saltai Ramp uh, in standard, by the way. Uh, but you have Burn, <laughs> Sacrifice, Azorius Aggro, Mono Blue Temple. They're all coming in at like uh, 6% to, to 9%. The top eight, mm-hmm. uh, Saltai Lands, Jeskai Temple, Gruul Midrange, Azorius Lurus, Rakdos Temple, Rakdos Aggro, Mono Red Goblins, Jun Sacrifice. So... Is it that bad? Because I haven't played any Historic. I'm like, should I draft Omniket Remastered? I'm like, Magic Arena's getting expensive. I don't know about this. Uh, but, you know, is it salt from other formats? Is it standard, you know, standard Field of Dead just, like, burned into your brain and causing, like, these uh, adverse reactions? <laughs> or is Historic <laughs> no. really that bad? Because this tournament seems to indicate otherwise. Cause, okay, so on, on my stream, I, I, what is, it? I streamed for six hours. And I think the one thing that everybody in chat knew was that I constantly just got, I, I must be hogging up all the matchups then. <laughs> because I only played against the old and I'm like, please, just, just somebody burn me. Like, I just, I just want to eat a lightning bolt or something like that. I don't, I'm tired of these darn zombies. I got paired against one burn opponent. I lost. But I got a Sphinx's Rev for two, and I was, like, so happy. I was like, oh, yeah, dude, Sphinx's Rev for two. Oh, I died. Whatever. <laughs> but, like, outside of that, like, I only got paired against Field of the Dead. And I I have to, like, I have to say, like, it's kind of miserable. And even though it's beatable, it doesn't change that it's a miserable card, right? It's like, because technically, Nexus is beatable, right? So, I mean, I, I'm not saying you can't beat it, but it is just a miserable, be- miserable deck to see, play against. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it could be fun. <laughs> to play maybe but yeah like i i because of that deck you see the meta shift right like mid-range is dead control doesn't exist like if you are trying to play control you are very brave and like i mean like if i'm going to play control it's got to have black in it because if you rule and plague is so important more than it ever has been um and so like if mid-range and control can't exist, obviously now everyone's like, well, I've just got to go underneath it. So you're, yeah, like you're seeing like Loris Boggles, you're seeing Burn, like all these hyper aggro game plans that are just hoping to get them before they go online. So my experience has been a little different than Crim's. I do think that the Saltai deck is too good for the format. I think the tournament that they had was right after the release of Amiket Remastered, and I think the deck has become more popular since then. I think it took people a little while. Like, I think everyone was playing, like, their initial brews at that tournament. And I don't know if people really realized how good Our Promise getting to Field of the Deads is, like, immediately. But the meta changes so quickly on Arena. I think it's definitely heading in the direction. And I do think that the synergy of Our Promise Field of the Dead is too good. So I I would just get rid of Field of the Dead personally. However, I actually found Historic personally to be in a pretty fun spot like 
yes, maybe 20% of the time I run to Field of the Dead and I usually lose to it because that deck's really busted. But the other 80% of the time, I feel like I'm playing a pretty diverse set of matchups, people trying a lot of new things, people like playing some pretty cool brews featuring new cards. Uh, so my experience has been that Historic is really good, but I do think that if we're going to have these big tournaments and like mythic invitationals and stuff with big money and big prizes on the line, I think the incentive is to like play the best deck. And I'm already convinced that Saltite lands or what as some deck grabbing two field of the deads with our <laughs> promise is the best deck in the format. So yeah. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're asking, like, I mean, like about like example, like I've beaten the field of the dead decks. Doesn't mean I had a good time, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't have to play like, once sometime. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, it, like the Grixis control deck. I like, so yeah, like, there are decks you can play. Like, the Grixis control deck is a lot of fun, and it's actually, like, really solid against it. I've also been playing a ton of, like, demonic pacts, uh, and, you know, flickering it, almost like the Pioneer, like, demonic pack deck. And, like, it's real, like, it's sweet. And I think the most, uh, the most efficient way that I've found to, like, beat the deck, or at least one of the more humorous ways, is I've been playing Luminous Kroxa. Uh, and, like, example, it wins through Solemnity, because Solemnity is now in the format, and, you know, like, since we're trying to assemble the combo of Solemnity, Luminous Broodmoth, and, you know, like, Kroxa, you know, like, in order to get all those parts together, I, I like, there's a lot of, I just, well, I want to be ready for burn, I've also thrown nine lives into the main deck, so now nine lives, Solemnity, allows me to live forever, at least unless they stomp, then that means I, I might die, but, and then I just, I found out that, yeah, you could also just assemble with, like, Fanatical Firebrand, Luminous Broodmoth, and Solemnity. So, I've just been using that combo to ping down all of the, the field players as soon as, as fast as I can. So I've what? gone. I've gone combo. What happens when they uh, play their Ugin and exile your nine lives? You see, that's why I play Gideon's Intervention. <laughs> the first thing I name is Ugin. <laughs> oh, Seth! Yeah. I I came prepared. I came to play ball. I know oh. about Ugin. Good old yeah. Ugin. <laughs> I've been messing around with nine lives too in Solemnity, and yeah, I've been doing the same thing. Gideon's Intervention really key because Ugin is like the biggest blowout. I happen like pretty impressed though with how good the lock can be in a lot of matchups it's really yeah. hilarious if you run into like goblins or something and you just oh, play yeah. solemnity and nine lives and, yep. and like, it's like they dunked. like make so many goblins and they cast <laughs> so many bucks but they just can't do anything like they're, yeah. they're drawing they're literally just drawing dead and spinning their wheels as they do all this stuff it's, it's it, actually it really funny. so good it feels so good <laughs> i'm just like oh oh you're gonna muxes me oh okay all right <laughs> like it's it's so much fun like when you can get like when you get that combo online, oh, Solemnity is so good because, like, you know, like, you'll see the field decks try to, like, blast zone you, but the blast zone can't get counters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It does just, like, incidentally cover some of the hate card, like Ratchet Bomb 2, stuff that could, yep. like, potentially make you lose the game. Solemnity takes care of it. So, uh, what have you thought about Collected Company? Like, how good do you think that is? I think, for me, heading into Amaket Remastered, Obviously, Thought Seize is going to be everywhere. I don't know how much you can say about that, though, because just, like, if you're black, you play it, because it's really good. Yeah. Uh, Collected Company was probably next on my list of cards from Amonkhet Remastered that I was like, ooh, like, is this too good for the format? Is it fine in the format? What have the early results been on Collected Company and Historic? I, I feel like Coco is, like, it's definitely going to get even more powerful over time, at least for Historic's power level. But, I mean, Craft Digger's Cage has more stock now, I guess. I mean, like, like the, the, the card is still really good. Like, I, I, you're starting to see, like, the, uh, the sacrifice, the gen sacrifice decks play it now. 
And they're, they don't even, like, they want to hit mana dorks because they're just trying to get to the six mana, uh, uh, Bolas of Citadel. But I, I've been playing a Golgari Coco deck that really is just mono green splashing black for rotting Regisaur. And that's been a lot of fun. So I, I, I think Coco is a really good card. Is it too strong though? No, not yet. Not yet. I, it, it gives, it gives aggro a shot. I, I, I think it's like the tool that aggro needs. Yeah, I think that's kind of been my impression, too. Like, it is good, and I, it's definitely seeing a decent amount of play across decks. Like, there's a bunch of different archetypes that can play it, but it hasn't felt oppressive to me by any stretch. Like, it's definitely a good card, and people are building around it, but I think, at this point at least, it's uh, it's very safe in the format. Is there anything, Krim, that... Or Richard, you haven't really played much, have you, Richard? Have you played any Historic recently? Uh, I haven't played Amaket Remastered. I played right before that. And I played, I played a field dead, a uh, field, field of the dead. Oh, what happened, right? I'm done. It, it started, done. it started at Thrag Tusk, and I'm like, I need to ramp. I like, I'm not getting Thrag Tusk fast enough, so I start ramping into Thrag Tusk, and then I spent all this time ramping. I'm like, why am I casting a Thrag Tusk? I'll just cast an Ugin or something, right? Might as well put some field of deads in there, and then I just like naturally evolved into a field of the dead shave the thrag tusk <laughs> and i'm like oh this is not the thrag tusk deck i was looking for i oh i tried so hard to make thrag tusk work i play the unicorn from jumpstart <laughs> just to blink it i'm like look i'm doing it ma i'm playing fair magic i think i blinked thrag tusk like five times and lost and you're like <laughs> you're like here's a five three gets jumped by a two two okay oh he has two zombies i can't attack now <laughs> oh boy How do i ever get through <laughs> Is there is there anything that's been especially disappointing out of Amakari Remastered? Anything that you were like hyped for, but it's just kind of like not worked out as much as you would have liked? Okay, this this is gonna sound crazy, and I love the card like to like ridiculous levels, but and maybe it's too early. But the Scarab God kind of was not the ha- like he's still good. Like the Scarab God's still a power magic card, but it's not what it once was. Right, like it, it's it's definitely just a five mana five five, and and usually when I untap with it, I don't always win. Yeah, that that's one that surprised me too. I thought that Scarab God might be one of the best cards from Amicat Remastered, and at least so far, it really hasn't been. Although I do wonder how much it, like you were talking about your Sphinx's Rev for two, and then dying to yeah. zombies, and like how bad control is and mid range is. I wonder if Field of the Dead ends up getting banned or becoming less popular or whatever. Like, I wonder if that opens it up for Scarab God to be a lot better. I wonder how much of it is the meta is just, like, super hostile to not just Scarab God, but anything that's, like, in Scarab God's wheelhouse as far as mid-range or control strategies. See, like, before, like, you would... Obviously, you'd see Scarab God in, like, all sorts of decks, but, like, you'd also see Control play it, right? And I think where I'm at currently, I don't think Control needs it. I, I wouldn't play it in control. I would play it in mid-range, because that's where it felt best. Like, I built a Grixis mid-range deck, and it felt pretty solid there, but it's, once again, still isn't the powerhouse that it was, but it's still pretty good there, but in control, it's not that great. A card that has caught me by surprise, and, and like, how efficient it has been, is Commit to Memory. Yeah, that is that is a good one. Narset. I have not cast any yet, but, yeah, I could imagine that actually being uh, being pretty good in the format. 
I've been wheeling people all day long uh, because, you know, like Narset and then, you know, just cast that, whatever. I I'll, Usually to, on their hour of promise or whatever, and then I just wheel, right? Although I did have it happen where I, I, I did that, I wheel, and they drew into Ugin. And I'm like, okay, all right, <laughs> that's, that's a problem. <laughs> oh, Krim, Krim finds ways, even if they ban Teferi, you still find ways to just play fun, fun, fair magic. <laughs> Wheeling people with Narset. It doesn't matter what they ban, Krim finds a way. But you gotta remember, I'm wheeling people and still losing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, any other any other thoughts on Historic or Amicat remastered, or should we uh, move on to our other topics? Glorybringer is still good. Glorybringer is still a magic card. Uh, Yeah. Soulscar Mage is probably better than I thought it was be it would be, and it was already really good to me. Um. And so, and so far, I mean, like, no surprise. Thoughtseize is great, but one thing that I, th- I see a lot of people often asking me is, well, in my Grixis control deck, is Thoughtseize, like, soon as, you know, Thoughtseize comes out, I'm assuming that just replaces the Thought Erasures. It's not an auto-replace. Maybe in some decks where, like, the Thoughtseize is backed up by, like, a, a clock or a mid-range game plan, sure. But, like, in Grixis control, I would not play it just because of the fact that I'm losing two health and that is actually a real cost. On top of that, the se- the the setup for my next turn through surveil of thought erasure is actually more valuable, and it makes it so that it's not a miserable top deck. So that's another thing I wanted to just mention. Wow, I was not expecting the the thought erasure is better than thought sees. In, in, <laughs> in my in my Grixis control deck, I have found it to actually just be better to play thought erasure because I like seriously. I don't have to worry about losing two life, and the surveil is big. Because, like, right, like, this is the last thing you want to do is top deck a thought seize, right? And, and, and when, when you're in a top deck war, when your Grixis deck is all about grinding your opponent out, right, hitting them with the early disruption, like, maybe, like, it, like, like, then, and then just, like, trying to win through any of your threats, but then when you draw thought seize, like, oh man, please, I'd rather have just not drawn this turn. Uh, but thought erasure, I at least get to surveil. So, there is something there for that. I okay, I can I can see that. I don't know if I'm convinced that I would ever well in a control I, deck. You got to remember I would like often play thought seize over thought erasure, but I I can yes. see your arguments. I can see what you're saying. <laughs> in a in in most decks I will still play thought seize, but it has to be a deck where I know I can recoup that life and you know like when when I'm in a when it's all about top deck wars, I definitely don't want to like I want to set up my draws, right? So <laughs> I I I think that, that like thought erasure is way more important in in, in some decks. Not that I'm not saying that is a more powerful card because in a vacuum or whatever, like <laughs> obviously Thought Seize is a better card. It's more mana efficient <laughs> and whatnot. I, I'm still waiting for the 2020 play design uh, refresh of discard cards that like Ramp got. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. one Gains mana Thought life? Seize. No, then you can miracle it for like a six six beater and like gain three life. <laughs> <laughs> so like, so it's not a bad card late game. So you can just top deck it and like still be ahead. Uh, I'm just waiting. 2020, <laughs> like 2021 thought seize would be instant speed. Oh, and it would draw you a card. That'd be pretty good. And it, no, if you, if you don't discard anything, it cycles. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. whip. And if for some reason they draw it on their next draw phase, you get a draw card too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to get that feel bad where like you discard a card and you draw another one. You're like, what? You get a draw one too now. <laughs> that sounds like a good card. You know what? Print it. Print it. <laughs> You can have that. That's 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 free. You don't even have to worry about like paying anybody for that. You can have to, that. To idea. counter that, they'll just supercharge Veil of Summer. 
that yeah. whole, like ancestral recalls. <laughs> All the spells for the rest of the game are uncounterable and have expert from black Ooh. and blue. <laughs> Draw a card anytime your opponent would cast a spell. You literally just get an emblem for one mana. Oh, no, no. It'll be balanced. It'll be two mana. Double green. (laughs) All right. Let's let's move on and uh, hit up some of our other topics. So one of the things that happened over uh, the weekend that I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about is uh, Gaius Cradle shot up to a thousand dollars it's come down a little bit to like 840 uh since its peak but it was a thousand dollars uh this weekend and this kind of led to a big conversation and i should say even though gaia's cradle is kind of emblematic of reserveless cards in commander seeing price spikes this week we also saw like tithe doubled in price memory jar doubled in price uh opalescence doubled in price uh humility there's a there's a huge list what uh what was your one crim oh i mean like yeah gilded drake is like 300 now right like yeah (laughs) obviously though everybody's just really upset about you know like elvish farmer you know, like that, that is the card that everybody's upset about. <laughs> so reserveless cards are going crazy. Uh, they've are, they were already expensive and now they are getting even more expensive. And it seems like the finance community perhaps is like kind of focusing in maybe on, uh, reserveless commander cards. So that's neither here nor there. The reserve list, we've talked about it before. I think that all of us agree if we had a choice, we would have the, a reserve list go away, but that doesn't seem to be an option on the table. One of the things that came up in the conversation about Gaia's Cradle, though, was should we just ban reserve list cards in Commander with how high the prices already are and the fact that they're likely to just keep increasing because that's what we've seen so far. Are we at the point where the solution is just to be like, all right, these cards are banned, or do you think we'll get to that point with the direction that we're heading? I, okay, I personally would love to see, like, the, the ban list, or I mean, the, the, uh, reserve list banned, to be honest with you. I, and, and, and I think that it, we will get to that point where it has to be talked about, right? I mean, but at the same time, I guess the, at the same time, you could probably also just say, well, if it's, you, you don't need a Gaia's Cradle to play the deck, right? You could play the what? The, the one from, uh, Ixalan. That card spiked up too. That's like 30 bucks now. By the way, I didn't know that. Okay, let, let's be real. Uh, you cannot replace Gaia's Cradle you with can't, anything. You can't. But you it, know, it's like, like example, saying replace your dual land with the guild gate. I'm like, you can. <laughs> but it's like but, a but significant your, your difference. In fact, Gaia's Cradle is so important to Gaia Cradle's decks that you can't even compare it to Guild Gate to Dual Land, right? But like like that's the thing. Like, so like do you think that you I, I think that obviously it should just be banned. Like all, all those cards should be banned. And, and I, and I'm an, like, I'm somebody who owns part of that and I'm sure it would take a hit, but I don't care. I'd rather just like have it be a, like a fun format where people don't need thousand dollar cards. I mean, so like, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree I, it's a problem, right? I don't think anyone's sitting here saying it's, it's not a problem, but rather than banning like all of these cards, reprint them. Like, sure, you can't print a Gaia's Cradle. What if you make something similar that's just as good or better uh then players can actually use this card in their deck the super spikes will have to buy both cards right like you know that someone will always have the advantage when they have the original gaia's cradle but you know if you make a 
uh, a cradle that's better or just the same that you can tutor up or whatever, then you can effectively have the same deck and you just lose a few percentage points as opposed to like your entire deck if you don't have the cradle. So I, I think just like start printing these cards. Like there's no reason they can't make a better, just like literally make Gaia's Cradle, except it taps to add colorless with no creatures on the board. Done, right? <sighs> And it's a forest, so Nissa can double the mana. Sure, it can be. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. If it was a forest, would it actually? What does Nissa actually read? Would it actually double? Uh, it straight makes up? a forest. No, no, I no. It, plus it would one, just plus add. One, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I think the thing is, I I like your idea, Richard. Although the problem is, in the past, when people have brought up this idea to wizards. They always say, like, oh, well, we want to adhere to the spirit of the reserve list, even though that isn't technically breaking the reserve list uh, because it's a different card. It's got different text on it. The spirit of the reserve list would be violated if we printed a almost Gaia's Cradle that was just slightly tweaked to get around the reserve list. So I feel like that's the sticking point. Maybe Wizards has changed their philosophy on that. I feel like they're going to have to do something like Commander is essentially keeping Paper Magic afloat at this point. <laughs> I mean, yeah. partly because of the metagames, but also partly because of the pandemic. Commander is the one thing Paper Magic has going for it. So I feel like if people start getting priced out of Commander, Paper Magic just would not have anything going on at all. Like, what what does Paper Magic have going for it if people start or stop playing Commander because they're getting priced out of some of these staples? I would prefer not to have to ban the cards, but... I, I would prefer wizards to just get rid of the reserve list. That's my preferred solution. They haven't really seemed to uh, be accepting of that idea, though. So who knows if or when that would ever happen. If it came down to it, though, I think I would be okay with them banning it. Like, if they refuse to uh, get rid of the reserve list, and they refuse to use Richard's idea because of the spirit of the reserve list, I feel like just banning the reserve list would be better than where we're at now or where we're heading with some of these cards just being so ridiculously expensive. And if it was just Gaia's Cradle, whatever. Like, sure, there would be decks that people couldn't play. But this is, like, there's a lot of cards. And all the, like, $40 ties and $300 Gilded Drakes, Commander's becoming a very expensive format if you want to have the staples of that format. And it just keeps heading more and more in that direction. So I do think this is, like... A legitimate concern. Uh, so I don't know. I think bannings would be better than doing nothing. Although I would hope that wizards could find a solution that did not involve banning all the reserve list cards. I have to hard disagree. I, I'd rather do nothing than ban due to pricing. Like, because like, where do you draw the line there, right? Like, do you start banning hundred dollar mythics from standard or, you know, hundred dollar cards that haven't been reprinted? Like, you, like, it's such a weird slippery slope. Like, Especially on something that wizards can't acknowledge and control. Like, you can't control pricing, right? So, like, how can they balance anything? So, I would rather them do nothing, have these cards skyrocket. Let's say Cradle's, like, $5,000. Look, normal people aren't going to play this card, right? So, if you're trying to play CEDH, yeah, tough, right? It becomes vintage. Uh, well, it basically is vintage, right? Uh, but the norm normal people won't play it, right? So, if wizards refuses to... Uh, reprint these cards, then you just will never see a Gaia's Cradle, and then when you see one in the wild, it'll be a treat for you, and you'll get crushed because they have a Gaia's Cradle, <laughs> right? But, like, I think that's it, right? Like, you're just not gonna play a Cradle deck. Just, like, we don't play well, Vintage because it's too expensive for us, right? Like, it's just, I don't know. We, we, doesn't mean you gotta, like, kill Vintage just because, you know, I can't play it, right? Like, 
So I, I, I'd rather just leave it. There is still the fact that we have the World Championship decks, the Gold Border cards. And on top of that, I guess at the end of the day, if people wanted to play it, it isn't a, a sanctioned form. Like, it's not like a competitive format, right? So proxies. I yeah. mean, I, I would never, or not proxy, like a token or whatever, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. the thing, like, like the gold border cards are fine. Wh- what about, can we not have more of those? <laughs> what happened to them? Uh, I remember there was some reason why they stopped making the gold bordered cards. I don't remember the reason, although there, there is one. Although I will say, I think Gaia's Cradle is a hundred dollars in gold border now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like, it it's not like that is actually cheap. I think you brought up a really good point about proxies though. And I wanted to mention that too. Like I would heavily encourage local play groups to take advantage of that. And I will say like, when I say proxy, I'm talking about like Sharpie on a basic land. Like, don't buy counterfeit cards. Like, yeah, even not if you want to use the like, oh, I'm never going to sell them. It's not hurting ever. You're like helping perpetuate a system that is a real threat to the health of paper magic. So even if you think like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do anything bad with these cards, you're still like being part of the problem if you're supporting people making counterfeit cards. So don't buy counterfeit cards, but I do think that playgroups should be very accepting of people playing like actual proxies that are not designed to mimic real cards can't accidentally trick someone into thinking they're real cards like sharpie up a basic land with gaia's cradle on it play uh growing rates of itlamok just like your play it already flipped like that's already like a pretty natural fl- proxy it's pretty much the same thing like so that i think that people should be way more accepting of that because i do want people to feel like they can experience all the format and i definitely could see how in a play group, if you have one person that's got the Gaia's cradle going on every week and you're like, you know, working on a hundred dollar budget, that would probably get old after a while. So I think it's one way that you can kind of, uh, even things out a little bit across budgets in your play group. So I think that's definitely something that play groups should embrace more. Yeah. I mean, like on top of that, like you, you've seen some of like the, the proxies in the way that like they're obviously not real. Like they, they're printed on like i don't know like a the avengers art or something like that avengers tower right like you can you can you can actually even have fun with that and really get more expressive with your like your stuff right like so i mean i think that's really cool and i and i think that group should definitely be more welcoming to proxies eh, just 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 wait it out they'll make a new digital client for arena uh, for commander just watch <laughs> I mean, it, it, it will happen right like three years in the future like Commander is the only thing that sells. Everything sucks. You know, people are dying to turn one Euros or something. Like, no one's playing standard. <laughs> turn one How do we take advantage of all these Commander players? I got an idea. We'll make Arena four players, right? And then they'll eventually migrate everyone on. And once they're on a digital platform, they can, quote unquote, reprint whatever they want, right? Like, there, there is no, the reserve list does not apply to online. So uh, if Wizards really, really is trying to skirt um addressing this eventually when commander is online and i fail to see how it will not come online right as long as it doesn't just literally die off it will come online somehow eventually on that platform you can do all the cradles you want but you know wizards it'll be like quadruple mythic or something it'd be super hard to get because it's highly (laughs) desirable so yeah but i i think digital will also fix this just by itself yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And I could definitely see a, a commander focused digital client. I think Wizards actually like suggested that at one point when people were asking about the possibility of commander coming to arena and they're like, 
eh, like that's not really in the plans, but you know, we're making a lot of games these days and who knows, like in the future, if maybe there would be something like that. So I think that is definitely a possibility. Plus from Wizards perspective, then they have like, like three digital clients that people have to buy cards for and your collections <laughs> don't carry over. So I'm sure they would love that too. <laughs> Uh, all right, we have one more topic before we get to fish mail, and that was this morning, Mark Rosewater released his State of Design article for 2020, which is a series he's been doing since 2005, where he goes over the sets of the year, talks about the good and the bad, also a little bit about the overall year of magic design. So uh, what do you guys think? Like, this was one I was actually really waiting for, because I guess as Mark said it was a ro- a roller coaster of a year with many highs <laughs> and many lows which i think is definitely true uh so i was very interested to see mark's perspectives on it we don't have a ton of time but what were some of uh, the highlights for you guys from this article is there anything that really stuck out well let me tell you uh, literally the highlights as pointed out by mark rosewater because there's three of them uh overall magic design a lot of magic was purchased and played says uh this was like they sold the most magic there's the most magic players uh it's bigger than ever there was plenty of design innovation and booster fun and collector packs were a hit Uh, so those are the three highlights lessons was balance issues we need to get better (laughs) about thinking about uh, the ramifications on all different formats calling out commander standard uh best of one standard modern historic etc instead of just standard and limited and the year could have been more mechanically cohesive so talking about not having blocks so those were the kind of six takeaways uh and then he goes in set by set into like more detail yeah uh and and like i'm gonna agree with a like some of the stuff that that he mentions on the sets was like it's true, right? Like, example, like, Adamant. Like, I kind of forgot that was a Throne of Eldraine <laughs> mechanic. <laughs> Is there even an Adamant card being played? No. No? I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I thought that, like, Adamant was so forgetful, but otherwise, like, I mean, like, okay, if you ignore Oko and the, like, the shenanigans that were going on in Throne of Eldraine, the set was a lot of fun, right? Like, like the fairy tale design, as he had mentioned, was a hit, and I agree. I loved the art style. I loved a lot of that. Um, I just wish I remembered what Adamant was, and you know, I can't remember. There was some three mana planeswalker. I think it was pretty good as Oko, uh, and uh, like yeah, like that 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 set was. Uh, I, I really liked Eldraine. Like right, like Adventures was sweet. I thought Adventures really sweet, and he had mentioned that uh, the Godzilla tie-in was like a solid, like a, a plus. People liked it, so this means that I could have hope. That we have more reskins. I I would love to see more reskins, and that was something that I I really wanted to have happen. Uh, and I that's why I hope that the reskins did well from Ikoria, and it looks like it did. And he also mentioned one of the things I had a, a weird issue with with uh, with uh, Return to Theros or whatever, and it was that Kroxa and, and Ura. We only had Simic and Rakdos. What about the other uh, two color combinations? So I, I do hope we get to see more of those titans somewhere down the line. Obviously, I hope they're not as Uro-y and more croaks Yeah, I think it was interesting that he mentioned the adapting to the blockless world, because that's something that we've talked about, is how you only have one set to push a mechanic or a theme enough for it to show up in standard. You only have one set to get all the flavor stuff you want in there. And I think if you read through 
a lot of what he discussed about various sets and also kind of look at the bannings we've had with certain like mechanics being really pushed. I think a lot of it does come back to that really, uh, to just not having these blocks. Like even what you mentioned, Krim, about there's supposedly like what five, uh, Titans, but we only got two of them. They mentioned one of the other downsides is people expected all the gods to return in Theros, but we only got some of them. And that's a, a direct impact of only being on Theros for one set, there's only so many mythic slots to go around, so something's not going to show up there. So I do think that that's something that hopefully will naturally improve as Wizards, you know, has another year or two of designing these one set block uh, in under that structure that hopefully that'll naturally get better. The other thing that stuck out to me is I did feel my overall impression was I did feel like it was a little deflecty about some of the issues where, <laughs> where some of it was kind of like, Hey, you know, like it's not really my job to balance cards, but you know, maybe I made a, maybe with having companions and mutate in the same set, maybe I made it a little too tough on play design and they, you know, couldn't actually balance everything. So I felt like I wish well, there was a little bit more. Uh, in-depth discussion about what went wrong. Like, yeah, we know that companions went wrong, but like how, what actually, you know, what actually led us there and how are we going to avoid having that happen again in the future? So I wish it went a little more nuts and bolts in depth on some of those topics personally. Well, this is yeah, state I, of design, I, I would love to see not that, state of play but, design, right? So this is more right. about like, was the theme of big monsters a hit in Ikoria, right? Did you feel like you were in a fairy tale in Throne of Eldraine? Kind of, like, that's kind of what he touched upon, rather than was standard balance, you know? Was three fairy the problem all along? Like, that's another article, which I don't even know if they're going to release. Uh, but, yeah, the Morrow kind of plays the role of uh, community outreach manager when he, in fact, is a designer. So he kind of gets pinned... Uh, all these problems. Uh, but I, I do think uh, it's interesting, like, apparently designing boosters is under his domain, and the fact that booster, uh, collector boosters were a hit. Uh, also note, Secret Lair was not mentioned in here. I don't know what's up with that. Is Secret Lair a hit or not? Uh, but kind of, to me, collector boosters, Secret Lair, VIP boosters, uh, people complain endlessly about these things, but they always sell out. And Wizards, in fact, is saying they sold out and, uh, you know, they're a big hit. So it kind of tells you, like, the kind of Twitterverse or Reddit subreddit is a small minority, right? People love to complain and then they buy everything anyway. Uh, Double Masters promos are, like, you know, increasing in price, meaning everyone wants them and uh, they're actually being bought out. And then the, the last thing was more magic is being played than ever. So last year was War of the Spark, and War of the Spark was uh, a really big thing for Magic. It brought back a lot of new players. So the fact that there's still more players this year and it's still going strong, um, I don't know what that tells me. It tell, a, it's good for Magic, but B, like everyone loves Uro and Oko, and like I don't know what that means, right? Like <laughs> if you do these things, you know, you know how this looks when we when we do our metrics meeting, right? When you do these things, yeah. right, and you see the numbers go up, what are you gonna do? You just gonna do more of it, right? Like so. Uh, so what does that mean? Please. Does that mean new no, players? No, don't, 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 please, don't. I don't even want to hear this next part. Please, <laughs> please, no more. <laughs> 
like everything we've complained about, but Magic had like its best year ever. So does that mean it's just going to continue into 2021? Oh, like I'm not. Let's not talk about that. I don't I, I'm not sure. Maybe we are like the boomers, right? We're like, ah, yeah. right. All the new players are like, yeah, Back in Oko, my day. Uro, Fuel the Dead. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's actually true. I haven't thought about that. There are people where this is their first taste of Magic, right? And they're like, oh, is Oko not the norm? <laughs> and, I, and I'm just, and th- that, that is so true. And that is terrifying, actually. Just truly terrifying. Uh, I, I will say, though, I think Aldrain was, to me, Aldrain is the new Innistrad. Uh, so for, for me, I really like that set. Like, Ikoria really didn't hit the spot for me. I think they totally missed, like, I, I hate it when they say, oh, we made monsters, but what we thought monsters were and not what, you know, 99% of the population thinks <laughs> of monsters, right? Like, I hate it when they do things like that where they're like, uh, yes, let's make dwarves, but dwarves, you know, that not, not the dwarves in your mind, but the dwarves we're thinking of, right? And, you know, because you should accept that, right? Like, I just don't like that. And I think Ikoria showed that, like, you mutated a bunch of small synergistic things into a small synergistic creature. That's not what I'm thinking of when I think monsters. I'm thinking like 2020 trample hexproof vigilance, right? That's what I'm thinking. So, so yeah, I think they kind of missed it on Ikoria, but uh, Eldrain to me is the new Innistrad. Like I, I'd love to see a return to this plane. All the cards are super flavorful. The promos are really well done. Uh, so everything I think regarding Eldrain was a hit. And I'll, I'll even accept Oko. I'm on the other side of Ikoria where I, I, I love the idea of their monsters. I thought that was sweet. My issue was how powerful they could, they were. <laughs> I think they could have, like Dirgebat, they could have definitely lowered the mana cost on that, right? Like, I, I, I wish we got, cause like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to see more mutate. I want to see more things like that. And I, and I like their idea behind their world of monsters. I just wish the monsters were playable. And I mean, I think it's hard to to hit every expectation. And I think one of the things they mentioned was they tried to have a lot of different, like, uh, monster motifs in the set. So uh, maybe the Godzilla cards felt like traditional, like, monster stuff and some of the other stuff didn't. And I think that is, I think that's one of the challenges when you have a game that's so big and when you hear monsters, you think of all different things. I remember this happening with, uh, I think it was Theros when they said, oh, it's an enchantment theme block. And then it was all like bestow type stuff, enchantment creatures. And a lot of people were like, well, that it doesn't really feel like what I think of as an enchantment theme, even though like a huge percentage of the cards were enchantments because of bestow and enchantment creatures. So I think that definitely is, uh, is one of the big challenges uh, that comes up like throughout designing magic sets. Personally, I think that mutate ended up in a pretty good place. I think the mechanics of the mechanic are going to make it hard for ever to be like truly constructed playable because you're just like setting yourself up to get X for one. So I think that, but even despite that limitation, like we've had mutate decks, we've had, I would consider those monster themed decks that have shown up in standard and have some success. So I think uh, for me, I was pretty happy with how that aspect of Ikoria actually landed. Yeah. Uh, I- all right. Oh, go ahead, Grim. And I I guess, I'm not going to lie to you, I thought Core 2021 would be my favorite set of all time, but there really wasn't enough to ferry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, I I was so hyped on spoiler season for this set. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I love the reprints, I loved all that stuff, but only one to ferry? <laughs> yeah, where's I, my common Teferi? Where's my uncommon Teferi? Where's my rare Teferi? Terrari, if you would, and then mythic Teferi. You know what I mean? Like, where are all of these? 
I think marketing it as a Teferi set was a little weird because they had like yeah. the, the vertical cycles for all the planeswalkers. So I'm not really sure how it's more of a Teferi set than it is a, you know, any other choose Garrick or whatever other planeswalker in the set. It seemed like they all had more or less like equal treatment in the set. So I think I personally, I'm glad there wasn't like five Teferis or something in the set, but I do think that calling it a Teferi set was probably like a bit of a miss marketing wise. And I think Mark uh, mentioned that, uh, mentioned that too, that a lot of people expected what you expected, Graham, that there was going to be like a bunch of different Teferi similar to how Chandra was the last core set. And then maybe they didn't quite meet expectations uh, with only having like the amount of Teferi cards they did. Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, I, I like the enchantment and I, and I like the whole like, oh, Teferi's protege, but like, I really did think because how Chandra got that love, right? Like, I thought Teferi would get a ton more and I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm a little underwhelmed by it. Like, it, it was just really just a corset with a Teferi in it. Anyway, any other thoughts on, uh, Maro's article or should we hit up uh, a couple of fish mail before we run out of time today? All right. We're totally over time, but there was a new announcement. Uh, while we were podcasting, Secret Lair Oozes was announced. Uh, Necrotic I already purchased ooze. it. <laughs> wow. Acidic Slime, Scavenging Ooze, Mimeoplasm, Void Slime, in a very unique art style. Um, I don't know how to describe are, are it. Are you, it's Adventure Time. Uh, it's like Adventure Time, Steven Universe, that kind of like cartoony art, but it's got like that kind of like like horror style, like you know what I mean? It, yeah. it just it looks great. It does look really sweet. Uh, like, Thirty dollars like, and the flavor text, yeah, thirty bucks, huh? Huh? And, and the flavor text is perfect on that void slime. It's literally a mage getting like bodied, and it just is cyclonic, and then he's like cut off, and it's a bunch of like spam, like. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Like that, that, that flavor art, uh, that flavor text is perfect. Like almost, I think all the flavor text, all the artwork, I am a huge fan of this set. Yeah, this is definitely top tier, I would say art wise for me, as far as, uh, the secret layers that they've done so far. As far as value, are any of these cards actually like, what's a, what's the no. money card in here? Like I, <laughs> I think this is one that you're, <clears throat> pretty much buying for the art more or less because i think even i was thinking maybe mimeoplasm had value but that's even that's like four bucks scavenging it was only like a dollar now so you're not going to get a lot of value in terms of like if you bought the original versions of these cards it would be much much cheaper but the art is definitely super sweet and these cards are pretty playable like mimeoplasm is a popular commander ooze sees a lot of playing a bunch of formats acidic slime another really good commander card so you're gonna have some like really unique art to kind of bling out your commander deck or whatever if you pick it up yeah like 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 yeah strictly speaking from value i think if we were just adding up all the like normal copies i think this may be 15 dollars. but the art and all of that yeah like this is definitely that one where if you're into this art style you love the adventure time vibes uh you know like that kind of stuff you're gonna want this it's it's so cool and it's cheap so all right uh let's move on to fish mail if you have a question send it to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air uh, first question from Andrew7821698. This question is for Krim. As a fellow control player in a commander game of three friends, I tend to have the most fun when I'm making everyone miserable. How do you manage your desire to be oppressive with letting the table have fun? <laughs> uh, you know, that's like, okay, so 
how I essentially let the table have fun is sometimes, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta be like, you know what? I can answer that anyway. So you just, you pretend you don't have anything. You're just like, okay, that, that's fine. You can do that. You can do whatever. That, that's legitimately what I do in my, like, play groups. I'm just like, all right, that resolves. I just let things go through. And then I'll dig myself out of that hole later. Hmm. I'm going to say, <laughs> I don't know how much you let us have fun. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, okay. You're, Rather, you're, we're like, we've had enough, Krim. We're gonna have fun, maybe, so we're gonna maybe, force maybe, our way in. <laughs> maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe I, 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 I view it as like that way, but like realistically, I think maybe it's just I never ease off the gas pedal, <laughs> and the fun was really like, what is it again? Like, there's a finite amount of fun, and I'm looking to have all of it. So <laughs> I, I, I guess. <laughs> it's whether there people is no way to manage our RNG loves us or not. Does he have counterbalance top? And does he have the right cards on the top three cards of his deck? <laughs> it's like you gotta throw a sweet mini game into the game, right? Like that's, that's so much fun. Will the top what happens with top? Who knows? Find out. Alright. Rops 007. Have you ever investigated the possibility of selling an arena account or running multiple accounts to be more efficient uh at getting wild cards? Well, I know selling your account was against the terms of service. I don't know how that's enforced, but I think in general, uh, probably not the best idea. As far as running multiple accounts, the problem is you can't really trade. So I don't know. Like, I guess you could. I don't know. Is it, would there be any possible benefit to having multiple accounts since you can't actually trade cards between the accounts? It seems like you're setting yourself up for frustration because so many of your cards come from like your reward packs or packs that you get from drafting or whatever. And then those are going to be locked into your account. So I feel like you're going to end up with like half of Salt Eye Ramp in one account and half on the other account and not be able to play Salt Eye Ramp on either account. I mean, it's probably possible. So like, for example, what you could do uh is grind quests on both accounts right so then you get double the quests and then on one account you use your wild cards for one deck and on the other account you use your wild cards for the other deck whether this is actually worth it i don't know because like what if you open a card for the other deck on this account or whatever right then like it may it might throw everything out of whack uh but it is a way to double up on your daily quests and maybe even double up on like the mastery tree and things like that is it actually good and do people do it? I am not sure. You'd actually have to do the math. But I, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it is. And it, it's it's really... The only reason why people would do it is just for, like, the meme, really. Like, to have a Smurf account. But, like, it's, <laughs> but like there's no point, right? It's like it's not like this is, like, an MMO or something, right? Or, or this isn't, like, Overwatch where I need to have... Sorry, I got to keep this card... Like, this account's MMO at, like, gold, right? Like, it's... Some people do it just for the fun, like to hit like mythic twice uh, in limited or, or, or mythic in, in constructed twice. I, I, I'm going to show, I'm, I'm going to make a Smurf account right now. My name's yeah, going to okay, be right. like the barcode. So Not you can't, Richard. so you can't Google me. <laughs> okay. And then instead of being, uh, bronze three, I'll be bronze four and I can play under my elo and, uh, oh. <laughs> rack up some wins. <laughs> Like, see, that's what I mean. Like, there's no reason to ever play under your elo in Magic. Well, the thing is, there is no elo in Magic, right? Because the ladder resets all the time. So unless you're actually constantly right, right. grinding, you're always at some perpetually, like, super low rank that you're not supposed to be at, uh, which is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. 
God of Grenades, after seeing Omicat Remastered and the annoyances in current Master products, what are your thoughts on paper remastered sets, a way to reprint cards at lower cost, as well as get out of necessary reprints at a high print run? I mean, I would like to see paper remastered sets. I would like to see them just straight up reprint some old sets, like just release more booster boxes of like Innistrad or other popular older sets. I do think like... I do think people might be disappointed if they do do it in paper because I would be surprised if they went for normal like $4 a pack. Uh, it, it seems more likely to me that if they did do like a remastered set in paper, they might try to price it like more master set or at least like in the middle, like Modern Horizons where you're getting in like 6 or $8 a pack. So I don't know if it would like be a super awesome deal from most players' perspectives, but I think it would be a ton of fun because right now if you look at like Zendikar or Innistrad, like those boxes are ridiculously expensive and those are some really cool draft formats. So it'd be sweet from a limited perspective. Plus you get more supply out in the market as far as reprints as well. So it seems like a win-win to me. All right, last question. Andrew uh, decides with the new cards being added to Arena with new Arena only art such as Thoughtseize and Coco. Do you think art that will remain? Do you think the art will remain digital only, or will they release it in paper via Secret Layer or some other outlet? I think it will show up in paper eventually. We've seen it happen a few times with Magic Online, where they have printed new art for some random old cards, released it on Magic Online, and then later have that art show up in paper. So whether it takes like a year or like five years, who knows? But I think there's a good shot that a lot of the art that's showing up first on Arena will eventually show up in paper too. I I hope that. I mean, I I always hope that though. Like I. Like what, what the mana drain promo? Like I love that promo. So like seeing that artwork, I but I actually don't know when like, specifically with that card when and which uh, happened first. Like did the artwork appear on like you know Magic Online first and then it got the paper promo or was it the other way around for mana drain? Ooh, I am actually not a hundred percent sure either. I would have to I would have to research it. Yeah, well, I mean, I love a lot of the promo artworks that I see on Magic Online, so I really hope we can see more of those uh, come to paper. Yeah, usually it's judge promos when they're released. Uh, I highly doubt Secret Lair because you're expecting, like, new art or, um, like, in the case of Slimes, like, some special style. Uh, so I really doubt Secret Lair, but the Magic Online promos uh, or uh, alternate arts usually are released as like judge promo arts or something like that. All right, I think that wraps up Fish Mail. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent in questions this week. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 290 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Greb, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. I think we're going to have some uh, Commander Legends spoilers coming this weekend, so should have some sweet stuff to talk about until then have a wonderful week and this is the crew signing out